This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Greetings, everybody. This is your presenter, Terry from Texas. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to take a, a, a bit of time this show to not tell scary stories, not tell spooky stories, but tell oddness that has been my life. Just different stories from from things that have happened. Being from a fairly large family, and I mean numerically, not weight-wise, it is a given that sometimes weird is just the way things are going to be. And so it's best to just embrace it. Here are some true stories from my life so far. I hope you enjoy them. First story is about kites. You know, flying kites. Since we had a long strip of land where we lived, kites were an integral part of our childhoods. Back then, we only had two kinds, box kites, which we couldn't figure out how to fly, and diamond kites, which we could. One of the draws of kite flying in the country is to see how high you can get one and how long you can keep it up there. One time we had put enough rag piece tail on a kite that we could see it for a long ways around. And with some ingenuity, we managed to get several balls of kite twine. We attached each new ball as we got to the end of the previous one until we could barely make out the kite, but we could still see the tail. It was untold hundreds of feet up in the sky and untold yards down course. We found a sturdy piece of wood and made a stake for the kite twine, securing it before we left for the evening. That kite stayed up in the air for about three days, give or take a little. And when it came down, it just was not worth the effort to track the entire distance away from us that it had landed. But we did soar that week. Later on in my teen years, the Delta or batwing kite, was introduced. It was made of heavy vinyl with plastic struts and a wooden dowel keeping the wings open. It was a keel-guided kite. My particular favorite was the bat, or the baby bat, in my case, so-called because it was black and white with yellow and black eye stickers on the wings. They weren't really made for height or duration flying, but man, could they maneuver. 
First kites I'd ever seen that could do loops and sail across the sky from one side to the other. My place to fly kites was the patch right out in front across the road from my house. For you city folks, a patch is a small field. This particular patch was surrounded by trees. One day I was out with my bat kite and it was soaring and flapping in the wind and skating from left to right and looping, all the things it did normally. But then I stepped into the twilight zone. In a very large oak tree, high up in the branches, sat one of nature's ugliest birds, the buzzard. And this particular buzzard was in what looked like to be a very sour mood. He sat on the branch facing me as if he were waiting for me to drop dead. But my kite had other plans. It suddenly swooped to the left and brushed the branch he was on. He popped his wings open like he was going to fly away, but realized it was just a momentary bother and simply scooted a few steps down toward the tree. My kite wanted to play and whiz the buzzard again, this time touching him. He again flared, but again, instead of flying, he just turned his back on me and scooted a couple of more steps toward the tree. This would prove to be a still unprotected position when my kite looped again and, yea, verily, it attacked that poor bird in the tree. The buzzard had no choice but to lift off and try to get away, but my kite was hard on his tail feathers. I was enjoying this little chase when suddenly the buzzard had had enough and turned to face his tormentor, my kite. I can't tell you how much like fighting a large fish on a line it was to have to fight the kite twine as that buzzard killed my kite. Imagine, if you will, the sound of a buzzsaw working as his talons and beak shredded my bat. As the ripped remains of my kite fluttered limply to the ground, I could swear that the buzzard laughed and smiled as he flew off over the trees. I could imagine vaguely hearing, I'm bringing home a baby bumblebee. I was smart, Alec, and I admit it. But I try not to be too snarky about it. It happens, but I usually try to be not too snarky. But sometimes people just ask questions in such a way that just beg for a snarky answer. Case in point, when I worked at a big box store, a man came up to me as I kept watch over the front end and asked this question in this way. Where could I find, oh, say, a broom? You know, the smart alecky part of my brain works much faster than my mouth does. And immediately it kicked into high gear and I asked myself, what? Is this guy on a scavenger hunt? I didn't say that, and I didn't ask him. But I just calmly looked at him and said, I keep mine in the closet off the kitchen. He stood there with a stunned look on his face and suddenly said, No, I want to buy one. I said, Oh, well, they're in the back of the store, and pointed him out the way. I grew up in church, Southern Baptist Church, that is. And I heard this true story at my present church. It was a Sunday morning early in the history of our church. And a young man came to the front of the church after the message during what we church people call the altar call or the invitation. 
he came with great joy in his heart, and then he got a deacon. Now, we in church circles speak funny, and we know it, but we usually know what we're talking about. And we can, we can speak in a code that unchurched people have no clue about. This was one of those times. The deacon used church speak as he inquired as to why the young man had come forward. But instead of simply asking, why have you come forward, young man? The deacon asked this question in church speak. How do you come, brother? The young man, sincere in his heart at that very moment, had absolutely no clue what the man meant as he sincerely answered, by car, brother. My brother Jerry was apparently blessed with the ability to cook. And his recipes for sugar cookies and rice pudding are still located in my mother's cookbooks. During the time that my family ran our gas station, I spent lots of time at home alone. That can be dangerous, but I was a couch potato even back then, so no worries. One day, though, I got a desire for cookies. I knew where the recipe was, and I knew where the sugar was, I knew where the flour was, and I knew where the eggs were. I gathered all the ingredients, but decided to make half a recipe, since I wasn't into consuming several dozen cookies. One thing I learned about that day, always make sure you got fresh flour. As I mixed the ingredients, I got the sifter and plopped the proper amount of flour into it. Then as I cranked the sifter, I noticed little black flecks falling into the mix. I said, if I don't see it, it's not there, and kept sifting and finally finished it. Now this recipe called for the firm cookie dough to be wrapped in wax paper and placed in the refrigerator until it became even more firm. I was impatient, so I doled out generous spoonfuls of dough, uh, which at this point looked more like batter, out onto a cookie sheet. I had the oven ready and slid the pan into its warmth. When the time had passed, I ran in to get the cookies. I got my hot pad, opened the oven, reached in and pulled out a pan with one large rectangular cookie on it. And look, that cookie had little black things all over it. Okay, a minor setback, but I could cut the cookie into manageable squares, which I did. Then I got a huge glass of milk, went into the family room to watch TV. I took the first cookie, dipped it into the cold, thick milk, and took my first and last bite. Sugar cookies aren't supposed to crunch like that. The flour, being old, had weevils in it. The house I grew up in, I've spoken about before, about spiritual experiences in the house, about spirit-related experiences. So it's no surprise what happened. But in the family room, we had a deer head up on the wall. And at one time, the family room was set up with the TV at the back end of the room, and chairs were under the buck. And I grabbed the chair that was right under him one day, and we're watching after-school TV, and we heard this funny noise, and I suddenly got attacked by a deer. What with the spiritual activity in the house, I'm not surprised. I guess even long-dead things can have a desire for vengeance. How else would you explain it? 
I was sitting in the chair minding my own business and that deer attacked. It fell off the wall, fell right on my head. And now when my wife calls out deer, I usually duck. One evening some time ago, my wife and I went into a local clothing store so she could look for a new outfit to go with her new job. She chose what I call a gypsy-type skirt with a sweater top. As she took several colors and designs into the dressing room to try them on, I waited by the rack where she'd gotten them. After a few minutes, a sales clerk came to the register near where I was standing. I noticed that she began to eyeball me from the corner of her eye. I guess I don't blame her. Here I was, a man, standing in the lady section by the checkout counter with no one behind it. I was wearing a sleeveless shirt, shorts, and raggedy shoes. But, you know, I decided to have a little fun with her. I stood there for a few minutes and then began looking at the skirts on the rack in front of me. She peeked at me and then kept on with her little busy work. I looked at this skirt, then that skirt. Then I said to her, these are some pretty designs. She nodded and quietly agreed. I waited a few more minutes, and then I took one skirt off the rack, spread it out to look closely at, and I said, you know, the colors are just gorgeous. She nodded and again agreed. I waited a few more minutes before I went in for the kill. I said, you know, they just don't look good on me. That poor woman's eyes got as big as saucers. She went deathly pale, and her mouth was working like she was trying to find the right words to say. I let her simmer for about a half a heartbeat before I gave her her release. I said, ma'am, I leaned over the counter toward her. I said, I'm just kidding. She put her hand over her heart. Her eyes got back to normal. She gasped out, oh, thank goodness. I quickly excused myself and left, went out to the car. As I hunkered down in the seat, I watched mall security screech up to the door and run inside. We quit shopping at that store. Eight people sitting around a dining table makes for some interesting meals, especially when half of them are young children and the drinks are served in goblets. You know what a goblet is, top heavy in an accident waiting to happen? And it often did. Not too many meals went by at our house without someone's tea getting tipped over and spilled across the table. One day, Dad had had enough. We all sat down to our meal, but before we prayed, Dad got everybody's attention and gave a quick, stern lecture about spilling tea. And to make his point, he made his point. He pointed to the table and said something along the lines of, I don't want any tea spilled on this table during the meal. At which point, his gesturing finger hit his own tea goblet, knocked it over with little fanfare, but with deafening sound. But... Not for many of us kids. Dad's eyes took in his own accident, and the rest of us thought, the first one who laughs dies. Our mother didn't make a sound. She simply packed up her plate, silverware, picked up her tea glass, went into the kitchen and closed the door behind her. We sat still, afraid to even breathe hard, iced tea oozing across our meal, finding the cracks in the table, and soaking the rug underneath. We heard an odd noise. The back door slammed shut. Then suddenly, we heard the sound of Mom's laughter ringing outside. 
She had left the table, dropped her stuff in the kitchen, and kept right on moving till she'd gotten out the back door before she just had to bust out laughing. Dad fumed for a bit and then realized the humor of his own goof. He ducked his head and then got up to get a cloth to wipe up the tea as a smile slowly crept across his face. We knew then that things were okay. Early in my tenure in San Antonio, I was a security guard, and I worked at a local savings and loan. A well-known video chain had just opened up a couple of blocks from us, and the manager of the SNL wanted me to see if they had a copy of a new released hot movie. I told her I'd call the place and ask her if she had the number. She gave it to me, and I dialed it, or thought I did. I transposed a number somewhere. I heard the phone get answered, and I heard the female voice make pleasantries and ended with, May I help you? Not having heard the first part of the greeting and just absolutely sure that I dial the right number, I confidently and cheerfully asked, Hi, do you have any copies of such and such movie in stock? There was a rather pregnant pause, and it was so pregnant I thought it was having triplets. The female voice answered in an unsure manner, Um, sir, this is a local clothing store, not the video store. They're next door. I realized my mistake, but not willing to let go, I just as cheerfully asked her, So, you don't have that video? But I didn't leave her hanging for long. I quickly apologized and hung up. Like I said, weird stuff. We had our gas station in Lexington. And while he was still alive, my dad bought me an awesome bicycle for my for the last birthday he would be alive for. It was the last thing he bought me, but it wasn't the last gift he gave me. This was a beautiful blue metal flake bike with a steering wheel instead of handlebars. And that metal flake blue banana seat. And it had the low-rise sissy bar. And I could flat ride that bike, even learned how to ride it without hands. One summer evening, after having tooled around most of the day on my bike around town, I was heading back to the station and was riding down the highway. I was within yards of the turn into the station when, of all things, a stink bug hit me right in the tear duct of one eye. You know, tear gas is bad, but it has nothing on a stink bug getting you right in the eye. I grabbed it in my face and lost interest in continuing down the road. My bike left the roadway and drifted off to the right and into the ditch. I was later told that it looked like the opening crash on the Six Million Dollar Man show as I rode that bike down into the dirt. But I didn't care. I was trying to get my eye back. But at least I didn't get that sucker in the mouth. And lastly, some things just don't go as planned. I have said previously that I grew up in a small town. Growing up there, I developed a love for the peacefulness of country life. Being able to go into the woods and hunt, and my hunting consisted of taking a block of 22 shells and blasting anything that did not bleed, or just walk and look at nature, or even maybe go dewberry picking. I loved it when we'd get a summer thunder shower, 
because I'd sit in the front porch swing and I'd listen to the rain coming through the oak trees. In school, I graduated with about 40 other people, many of whom I'd been in school with for nearly all the 12 years. I was depraved, I'm sorry, deprived because we had no kindergarten until midway through my first grade year. These were the people with whom I've li- I'd lived most of every day. I'd experienced the highs and lows of school life, the joys of recesses and the clouds of tests. It wasn't that I was particularly close to any of them, but they were the friends of my childhood and they became the friends of my youth. While growing up, I'd always said this, I will never live in a city. I will never go to a large church and I will never have a job where I have to wear a uniform. Over recent years, I've thought a lot about those goals, a lot, because you see, I reside in San Antonio, a city of about one million people plus, all told. And I went to a church that had a very, very large membership. And because for 16 years, I got up every day and put on a uniform before going to work. As if to explain this evolution in my life, I found these passages in the Bible. My, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 in the New International Version. So my plans weren't what God had in mind for me. Seems like I was dangerously about to make the same mistake another being made some millennia ago. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. It's from Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, also from the New International Version. It's not that I'm bragging and saying that I was as bad as Lucifer, but my thoughts were similar. I would be on the throne of my own life. I would control it. It's funny how God puts his plans into action, and maybe it's in pity of us sometimes. But whichever, his plans for us are far richer than anything we could come up with for ourselves. Mysterians, I would normally share some spooky or eerie stories, but recent events made me want to share how goofy some of the stuff I've been through I hope you enjoy the stories and can see me in a warmer light now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show.